Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. Today, the title of our message is Second Chances. Second Chances. So the first part is we're going to look at Peter, the struggling servant. The Peter, the one who made some mistakes. In fact, what we're going to look at today is that he made three very large mistakes in a 24-hour period. In fact, less than 24-hour period. And the impact it had on him, how those mistakes affected him. But then we're also going to to look at the response of Christ to Peter's failures. So if we look at chapter 26, let's start with verse, verse 36 today. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little further, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, So couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, a second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. And leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. So that's where we're going to start this morning as we look at Peter, the struggling servant. I I believe that if you look back at your life and your relationship with with Christ and as you've walked out uh, your, your life with God and walked out your relationship with Him, we've all had these times when we have let God down, where we have been disobedient, where we have failed God in a decision we made, a choice that we made, an attitude that we had, right? Failed God in in our prayer lives, uh, in our meditation and spending time alone with Him, where we have failed God. We've all, if we look back, have had those times where we have felt like we have let God down, that we've let Jesus down. And Peter is about to experience in rapid succession three times where he really, really messed up. The first that we read here is that Peter was unprepared. He was unprepared. So Jesus knows that his time is short. The the Passover, the the Last Supper has occurred. And he knows that any time now Judas is going to betray him. He knows that that time is, is coming very quickly. And so he's troubled and he's afraid because he knows, you know, what he's about to face. I know it's hard to think that God is afraid, but the truth is Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. And he was frightened of the pain and what he was about to endure. And so uh, he's troubled and the Bible says that he takes his disciples, minus Judas, and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it is here that he wants them to pray with him. So he takes Peter, and he takes James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and then they leave the others, and they go in a little further. And Jesus turns to Peter and James and John, and he says to them, I need you to stay awake and pray with me. Because he was so upset. Pray with me. Now listen, Jesus wasn't just asking them to pray for him. He was asking them also to pray for their own benefit. To be prepared for what was coming. Because in the recent days, the recent weeks, Jesus had let them know, 
pretty straightforward that he was going to die. He was going to suffer. He was going to, to, to be sacrificed for the sins of mankind. He let them know that the suffering was coming. He let them know that they were hurting. They, they just didn't properly understand. They couldn't comprehend what was coming. And he wanted them to be prepared. And so he said, come in here and I want you to pray with me. And so he left those three there, Peter, James, and John, and he went further into the garden where he prayed. And then you get an even bigger understanding of this prayer in the book of John. But uh, the, the Matthew gives you the very smallest summary. He said, he said, Father, if this is your will, then I'll accept it. But if it's not, let this cup, if any way possible, pass from me. He didn't want to suffer and die. He goes out after praying that prayer and he sees that Peter, James, and John are what? They're snoring. They're asleep. He wakes them and he says, can't you just tarry a little bit, at, you know, a, a, an hour and pray with me? And he leaves. He goes and he prays again, Father, let this cup pass, for me, pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He goes back and they're sleeping again not realizing what is coming. Jesus knows what's coming, not just for himself, but he also knows what's coming for Peter, James, and John. Now, if I was Peter, I would have really been praying because God had said, Jesus himself had said to Peter at the Last Supper before the crow, I mean, the uh, rooster crows three, three times, you'll have betrayed me three times. Before the rooster crows in the morning, you'll betray me three times. So in 24 hours, Peter, by before morning comes, you have already denied me three times before people. Yet here in the garden, Peter is sleeping, unprepared. Jesus goes back the second time, and it doesn't say here in Matthew that he woke him, but he went back and prayed once more. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, let your will be done. He comes back out, and they're still snoring. He awakes them and he says to his disciples, listen, you need to be praying because the temptation, it's coming. And you're, you need to pray that you don't fall into what's coming. The fallout, the rejection, the, the trial, that's the mocking of Christ, all of the pain that they're going to suffer, all of the hurt that they're going to suffer. He was there not just praying for himself, but he was also there praying for his disciples, as I believe it's John chapter 17 says. And he was there praying for you and I. Right? So he wasn't just praying about let the cup pass for me. He was praying for his disciples that Jesus would keep, or that God the Father would keep them and protect them. And he was also praying for those of us who would come later that God would keep them and call them and protect them. And he wanted Peter and James and John to understand the gravity of what was coming, but they simply could not comprehend it. He wanted them to be prepared. But they could not even stay awake for an hour and pray with Christ. You and I in our walk with him so many times, we live our lives unprepared. There are opportunities to serve Christ. There are opportunities within this world to minister to others, but because we're not prepared, we're incapable of seeing those opportunities. We're incapable of being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit because we're not prepared. We have not prepared ourselves with a long time with God, with a prayer uh, with God, with conversation and communion with Him, and so while we're out there in the real world, we're not prepared for what's happening. We're not prepared for when situations arise for us to minister and situations arise for us to, uh, you know, to serve God and be God's hands and his feet to this dying world. We're not prepared for when bad things happen. Amen. We're not prepared for when uh, terrible things happen. Uh, we're not prepared for the emotional trauma and the physical trauma and the spiritual trauma for when terrible, awful things happen in our lives because we haven't spent time alone with God. We're not prepared. I think that's probably one of the largest shortcomings we have in our relationship with Christ is that we're not prepared. And when we're not prepared and bad things happen, what's the first thing we usually do? We blame God. 
We blame him because we weren't prepared. He's been saying all along, just stay away. Just pray with me. Just commune with me. Just seek me. Just spend time with me. We have all of this opportunity on the mountain, as we talked about last week, to get prepared for the ministry in the valley, but we're not taking it. So that when circumstances in life happens, we simply aren't prepared. We get mad at God. We get angry. And we usually revolt and rebel in some way. Because we're not prepared. We're not prepared to minister and we wonder why God isn't using us more. We wonder why the church isn't growing and we wonder why people aren't being saved. We wonder why our children aren't being saved. We wonder why the world around us isn't being saved. It's because we're not prepared as believers. Amen. We're unprepared. And being unprepared is sin. Being unprepared as rebelliousness towards God, it means that we're making a conscious decision to sleep instead of commune with the Father. The disciples made a decision to sleep instead of pray. Now we make decisions sometimes, I know I do, I actually make the decision like them to sleep instead of commune with God. But we also do other things. We allow our jobs to keep us from communing with God. We allow uh, unhealthy relationships to keep us from communing with God. We allow hurt and, and what we consider to be slights against us to keep us com communing with God. We allow our pride to keep us communing with God. We allow our arrogance to keep us from communing with God. We allow our comfort to keep us from communing with God. And those are choices that we are making. That doesn't happen accidentally. That is a conscious decision, just like the disciples, Peter, James, and John, who chose to sleep instead of pray. We choose those things instead of communion with God, and then we wonder why we're not prepared. Being unprepared is a choice. It's like when you're when school, I know, uh, when, when you're in school and you know that you have exams coming, finals coming, you have some sort of large test coming, uh, so many students go in unprepared. Many times they like to blame the teacher. Well, the teacher didn't prepare me. They like to blame mom and dad. Mom and dad didn't prepare me. But preparation comes down to the individual. Right. And what you put in is what you'll get out. Amen. And we, they walk, and I know I was guilty of this in school. I was not prepared, and I would walk in, and I would fail that test. I wasn't prepared. Why? I made a choice to play video games instead of study. I made a choice to be outside, playing in the yard, hanging out with my friends, going on dates with my girlfriend, instead of studying. Right? And so I was not prepared when the test arrived. Even though I knew the test was coming in advance, I chose not to be prepared. But how many times did I make excuses, and I'm sure we, you guys have done the same thing, and said, well, they didn't cover that in class. Right. Oh, the teacher made the test too hard. Right? I mean, if we would have simply studied and prepared, we would have made it. Maybe not with an A+, but we would have passed. Listen, God does not expect you and I to get 100% all the time. He knows that sometimes we're going to get C's. Right? Yeah. I mean, he knows we're going to get F's, obviously. But he's happy with a C sometimes. Why? Because if I get a C, the idea is the next time I'm going to prepare a little more so I can raise my letter grade. Right? Mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so God is not surprised when you and I get a C. He's not looking for an A every time. He knows we're not going to ace every test. But he wants us to learn and be prepared for the next test. Right. It's okay if we get C's as long as we learn from those C's and raise our letter grade the next time. But many of us live our lives comfortable with C's. This is something I bragged about and, and, and actually still think is kind of funny, even though children who are still in school do not... Listen to what I'm about to say. I hated homework. 
And uh, I coasted through high school with C's. And the way that I did that was, is I didn't do my homework. I just did tests. Right? I could have gotten A's and had a nice high GPA if I had done my work. But because I was happy with C's, I graduated with a CGPA. I think it was a 2.5. Right? Sometimes in life, we're happy with C's. We're just glad to make it. Now, if we put a little extra work in, we could get a B. Put a little extra work in, we could get a B plus. Right? But we're happy with living a life of C's. Well, a life of C's does not result in the impact that God wants us to make. He doesn't want us to be average. In the kingdom of heaven, he doesn't want us to be average. He wants us to excel. Yeah. Right? So even though he knows we're going to get C's, he wants us to be working towards A's. Right? right? So that eventually we're getting more B's and A's than we are C's. We're still going to fail. We're still going to every once in a while get a D or an F because, you know, we make mistakes and, and, and stuff. But we need to live our lives not happy with C's, being average. We've got to make sure that we're prepared. The second thing is starting in verse 50, the second big failure of Peter. So to give you a little background here, starting with verse 47, Jesus has now gone to, the, to Peter, James, and John, told them to wake up. He wanted them to stay up so that they wouldn't fall into temptation because it was getting, everything was getting ready to throw down. He said, look, here comes my betrayer. When they looked, a bunch of men were being led by Judas, set by the temple, uh, the high priests, and set by the, 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 the religious leaders with clubs and swords and stuff and torches to come get Jesus. And so Judas comes up to Jesus and he betrays him with a kiss. He tells the, the people who are with him, the one that I kiss is the one that you need to arrest. He goes up, he kisses Jesus. Jesus. The men come down to arrest him. All right, verse 50. Friend, Jesus asked him, why have you come? And the literal translation is, instead of a question, why have you come, is come and do what, do what you came to do. Then they came up, took hold of Jesus, the crowd, and arrested him. And at that moment, one of those who with Jesus reached out his hand and drew his sword. He struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. Then Jesus told him, put your sword back in its place because all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think I, that I cannot call on my father and he will provide me here and now with more than 12 legions of angels? How then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Jesus picks up the ear and he heals the man. Well, we know in the other accounts that the person who cut off uh, this servant's ear was Peter. Now, Jesus had said, when I go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer and die. Jesus had said, right before all of them came, that they were betrayers coming to take him. Right? Peter still... Being rebellious and disobedient raises up arms against God's will. Now, Jesus had told them what God's will was. The Father's will was for him to be arrested, to try, and crucified, to be beaten, betrayed, and die, and, and die upon the cross. He had told them that the Son of Man was going to die. They knew it. They knew that was coming. And Jesus even told Peter and James and John, look, there they are. So it begins, basically. Here we go. Okay? Peter, and his disobedience, so the next point is he was disobedient. He takes out his sword and goes on the offensive and strikes off the ear of one of the servants, one of the men who had came to arrest Jesus. Jesus corrects him immediately. And he says, put down your sword. Put down your sword. Don't you know that if I wanted to, I could ask to be delivered from this mess? 
Don't you know if I wanted to, I could call down angels who would come fight for me and clean this all up? He wouldn't have to call down angels. Jesus could have simply said, leave. He, and made them go. Right? Don't you know that I could handle this in a different way if I wanted to? But look, he says there uh, in verse 54, but if I do this, if I, if I were to allow you to revolt or if I were to stand up and call the angels so I didn't have to deal with this, 54, how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? So even though he had been given strict instructions on what was happening, Peter thought that he knew better than God and he struck out to keep from happening what Jesus said was going to happen. I remember we looked at this along this story too uh, as we've gone through this series. Peter is also the one that told Jesus what? When Jesus said, I got to suffer many things and die, Peter pulled him aside, rebuked him and said, that will never happen. Don't say such things. I'll never let it happen. Peter said it with his words. And what did Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. You don't understand the things of the father. So the man had already been rebuked once for going against the will of God and saying that God got it wrong. And now in action, he was taking those words and how he felt, he was putting them into action by drawing his sword and striking the serf, one of the temple servants. He was being disobedient. We many times live our lives in disobedience to God's word. He has told us specifically what he wants us to do, yet we rebel and do what we want anyways. And again, we wonder why things are not successful, why it seems like we're either going backwards or that we're spinning our wheels and stuck and not moving forward. When we've made a conscious decision to go against what God has been telling us all along that we're supposed to do and what's supposed to happen, we make a conscious decision to revolt. Now we think we're doing what's right. We think we heard it wrong. We think that God doesn't know what he's doing. We don't say that with our lips, but whenever we act in disobedience to God in our actions and subconsciously, we're saying that God does not know what he's doing and that our plan is greater than his plan. Amen. Right? And so, in disobedience, we directly rebel against God's instructions Then we wonder why things turn out poorly. See, when you and I are disobedient to God, there's always a cost. Now, there are costs that we immediately know there's going to be consequences. If we make certain decisions, we know that we could get sick. We make certain decisions, we know that, you know, uh, that we set off a chain reaction of events that many times we are continuing to feel the repercussions of those events days, weeks, months, and sometimes even years later, right? But then there's also the cost of our confidence being shattered. And, and usually it's false confidence. It's a false bravado. Mm -hmm. And it is shattered. And it reveals the broken person on the inside. Mm -hmm. In addition, our pride gets wounded. When any of us get rebuked, we don't like it. Our pride gets wounded. Who likes to be rebuked? Who likes to be told that they're wrong? Who likes to be told, I said this, God saying, I told you to do it this way, you went and did it on your own and embarrassed you in front of everybody. Nobody likes that. And that's what happened to Peter. And he was disobedient to God and he suffered the consequences of that disobedience. And it is the reason, listen, the next thing that we're going to look at was that Peter denied Christ. Denying him. The being unprepared to the disobedience led to the denial. The lack of preparation resulted in disobedience, which resulted in the denial. And that is how our lives, many times, that's the progression. We're not prepared because we haven't spent the time with God. Then we are disobedient because we're not prepared. We have ignored God's instruction. We haven't been close to him. We haven't been reading his word. We haven't been seeking him. We haven't been praying. So that ill preparedness 
leads to disobedience and rebellion, which then leads to poor decisions and denying him. Peter denied Christ because of one and two. Lack of preparedness, disobedience, unfaithfulness. Look with me to verse 69 through 75. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl approached him and said, You were with Jesus the Galilean too. But he denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another woman saw him and told those who were there, This man was with Jesus the Nazarene. And again, he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there approached and said to Peter, You really are one of them, since even your accent gives you away. Then he started to curse and to swear with an oath. I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. He was not prepared. He was disobedient, which led to unfaithfulness. Now this is the man that multiple times said, I would die for you. This is the man who multiple times says, I will not allow you to die. Everyone else, he said at the Last Supper, everyone else may turn away from you, but I will never, never, never turn away. I will never leave you. He had said that at the Last Supper. I will never leave you. But his ill-preparedness in the garden led to his disobedience when Jesus was arrested, now led to his unfaithfulness. Because all of the winds had been taken out of his sail, and he had been rebuked, and his false bravado and his false pride had been shattered. Everything that he had worked up in his mind, how it's supposed to be, had been shattered because he had not listened to the instruction of God, and he had not spent time with God, and he had rebelled against God. So now he was in a position where he was going to be unfaithful to God because of his embarrassment and his shame and his frustration. And as he's following now, listen, all the other disciples ran, right? Even John, now John did ultimately was at the cross, but up to this point, they were even John was gone, right? Peter was the one who the Bible tells us he actually didn't just follow Jesus. He went in and sat in with the servants in the proceedings, wanting to see what was going to happen. Now, perhaps he still thought Jesus was going to exercise some political muscle. Don't know, right? He, but he went there to watch, to see. He was the only one. As he's watching to see, someone sees him and says, hey, aren't you one of his followers? And he says, no, I don't know this dude. A little bit later, another, one, another uh, servant girl is talking to a group of people and says, hey, that guy right there is one of his followers. And this time Peter says with an oath, he had a little curse in there to get his point across, right? You always know when a Christian's serious when they add in a little, little curse, right? Because we don't ever do it. So he, he adds in a little curse word there, right? I don't believe he took the Lord's name in vain, but he had an oath. And says, I don't know him. And the third time, they come up to him again. Look, your accent gives you away. We know that you are a follower of his. This time, he, he uh, denied Christ with a big oath. He put uh, several of those naughty words together. And said, I don't know this man. And then the rooster crowed. He was unfaithful. The one who claimed he would be loyal to the end. The one who claimed that he, everyone else, if they retreated, he would be loyal. He was unfaithful. But Peter was unfaithful in that he refused to defend Christ when these people, he refused to acknowledge his relationship with Christ when others were asking. And so many times, that's what you and I do. We deny Christ with our lifestyles. Yes. We're unfaithful to him in our lifestyles. Yes. We know better. We have unhealthy relationships that we know are bad for us. And we deny Christ by choosing to go after those relationships anyways. We know we're not supposed to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. We know that we aren't supposed to be going to places with those who are encouraging us to go to, to, to locations that we know are bad, right? To participate in activities, to do things that we know are against God's word. But we go along with the flow 
and we deny Christ with our lifestyle. That's being unfaithful. We get mad at Peter, and we like to preach awful messages. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people preach messages that just smacks Peter around. But we live out what Peter did in 24 hours in our lives all the time. Yes. And that unfaithfulness, we deny Christ with our lifestyle, the, 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 our uh, people we hang around with, the choices that we make, what we devote our time to. We erect idols, and that's a denial of Christ. Any idol is a denial of who Christ is. It is an unfaithfulness to God uh, that we are being unfaithful to him and being faithful to an idol. Faithful to something that is the opposite of Christ. Faithful to something that brings death instead of life. We're being unfaithful. Amen. We're unfaithful in relationships. We're unfaithful in our choices. We're unfaithful. We deny Christ with our lives. We deny Christ with our words. We deny Christ with our actions. We deny Christ and are unfaithful to him. And then we wonder why in the world the, uh, you know, we're not taken seriously. Wonder why we're not having an impact. It's because of what we preach, we deny. You can't preach Christ and be unfaithful to Christ and have any kind of success. Because people look at your actions and not your words. Right. Jesus told the parable of a man, uh, two brothers. And the man said to the first brother, I want you to go out into my garden and do some work. I need you to go work in the fields. And the first brother said, absolutely, Father. Absolutely. But he never went. And the second man the father said to the second brother, I need you to go out in the fields. I need you to do this work. I need you to do this. And the brother said, no way, Jose. Not interested. Yet he went and did it anyways. Jesus said when he told this parable, who was faithful? And of course, who's faithful? The one who said he didn't want to, but still did it anyways, was the faithful one. Our actions speak louder than our words. Yes. Amen. And we could be singing the praises of Christ but if we are making the choices of Satan, Come on. then we cannot be a witness and we can never be all that God wants us to be. Yes. Being unfaithful, and listen, there is never an excuse for unfaithfulness. Just like there's never an excuse to be unprepared and there's never an excuse to be disobedient and there's, there's never an excuse for unfaithfulness. Never. There never is. God never gives us a reason, a reason to do any one of those things. But here is the great thing about God. Is that even if we mess up royally like Peter did. Even if you have lived your life and I have made mistakes as early as today, you know? If I made mistakes this morning. Uh, even if I've made some big ones. And I tell you, I've made some big ones in my life. I've made some big mistakes, but God, when, uh, you know, even though there were consequences, when I confessed and asked for forgiveness, he worked those things out ultimately to be a blessing because of a repentant heart. See, God doesn't want us to be failures. He wants us to succeed. And he doesn't want us to wallow with the F's. He doesn't want us to see us get an F and decide that we're just an F student, and so we get F's in everything. And there are people who do that. They make one mistake. They get one bad grade and they say, I'm stupid. I can't do this anymore. And they just give up. Listen, we're all going to fail a test here and there. But you don't give up. Right? You need to have, as long as you've got more B's and A's than F's and D's, you're going to be okay. Right? We're going to get F's. Many of us get F's and then we wallow in the F. We, we like to, uh, you know, put that F on our door and remind us of just what a failure we are. You know, uh, when I was a kid, uh, well, with my kids too, you hang the good grades on the refrigerator, you throw the bad ones in the trash. Some of us like to post to the refrigerator with all the bad grades and we throw the good ones in the trash. Now, if we put all the good ones on the refrigerator, the refrigerator would be covered 
And, you know, there's not that, as many bad ones, but we like to wallow in the bad ones. Stay in the F's when God wants to promote us to the A's. Right? When you and I mess up and we make a mistake, we can't just wallow in that mistake. The answer is repentance. And that's why it says here, what did Peter do? He went outside and he wept bitterly. In that instant, Peter felt horrible. Boy, had he made a mess of that whole night. An absolute debacle. Wrong decision after wrong decision after wrong decision. He messed up. And his weeping bitterly, I'm sure, was begging for forgiveness. It was guilt. It was shame. It was condemnation. Right? It was the belief that Jesus, would, you know, God would never have anything to do with him again. He felt he had betrayed the one he said he would never betray. And when he wept bitterly, he left and scattered with the others. Now, when Jesus rises from the dead, if you look in the book of Mark, Peter is dejected, he's hurt, and he's broken. So even though we are, you could be a struggling a servant, we serve a loving Savior. Amen. And when you and I mess up, even when it is a royal mess up, Jesus has not cast us aside. But Peter believed he was cast aside. He wept bitterly and he ran. But Jesus doesn't cast us aside. Look at Mark chapter 16, starting with verse 5. Mark chapter 16, starting with verse 5. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Now Peter didn't even know yet. But God had instructed the angel. Jesus had instructed the angel that when they come, say, and the, the disciples and Peter. So even though Peter felt he had been disqualified completely, even though Peter felt that it was all over and he hated himself, Jesus already had the plan in motion. Listen, before he told Peter that he was going to betray him, Jesus already had the plan in motions to restore him. Oh my goodness, that's a message right there. Before he even let Peter know the betray, he was going to betray him and be unfaithful to him, before Peter fell asleep in the garden, before Peter cut the man's ear off, before Peter denied Christ three times, God already had in plan the restoration process, and it started right here by telling them who went there to say, and the disciples, and make sure you tell Peter, I call him by name. Make sure you tell Peter. I know Peter's going to be upset, but I know Peter's feeling sorry for himself, and I know Peter, no Peter is hating himself right now. Make sure that you find him. Yeah. Yeah. When you go to the other ten, don't forget about Peter. When you go to the other ten, make sure you find Peter. Why? Because I have a plan to restore Peter. You and I don't have to wallow in our mistakes and in our consequences of those mistakes because Christ has a plan to restore us. And that plan to restore you was in place before you messed up. Before I messed up, he already had the plan. And if that means he has to send someone specifically to you to let you know that he still has a plan, he can do it. And I am a walking example of God taking someone and sending them to them despite my mistakes and all the poor decisions I made. He said, and tell Curtis. Right. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. 
I plan to restore. And Jesus restores us. And I love John 21. Because if you look at John 21, I was only going to look at a portion, but I want to start with verse 1. And uh, I know it's getting long, so I, I won't read everything. But now Jesus has already appeared to the disciples a few times. So Peter's seen him a lot after the resurrection. Okay, so keep that in mind when we go here. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. Now, let me tell you something. Simon Peter hadn't fished in any kind of capacity like this since the day that he loaded all those fish up when Jesus told him to go back out and fish. Throughout the entire ministry with Christ, he hadn't fished for fish. He had fished for men. Right? My man, even though he knows Christ has rose from the dead, he's given up on what Christ taught him to do. He said, I'm going back to fishing. I'm going to return because obviously he can't use me. Now, Christ has rose from the dead. He's seen him alive. He's seen the empty tomb. He says to the group, and this is how you know he was the de facto leader of the group, I'm going fishing. And guess what they did? They followed him. So Peter says, I'm going fishing. They said, we're going to come with you, they told him. They went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Sound familiar? Oh my goodness, I'm going to try not to cry. Remember when he was called and he left everything? He had fished all night and caught nothing. Now he's lost everything. And he's gone back to fishing and he's fished all night and he's caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. He said, friend or children. Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? And they know they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Sound familiar? The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, It's the Lord. So here after Peter is rejected and he's really messed up bad. And Christ has already been resident and he's seen him. He, knows, he still believes in his heart that he can't be used. And that why would Jesus want anything to do with him? And he goes fishing. He returns to the old. Jesus shows up on that shore. And I believe he showed up for Peter because of what's about to come. The other disciples were there, but Jesus was there. And he was fishing for Peter. He knew they weren't going to catch fish all night long, just like the day that Peter gave up everything. He knew it was planned in his purpose and his time. He knew that, that they would be dejected again. And so he set it up that he called to them and he told them, I know it's Think about this. Last time Peter told him to go out to the day, Peter told him, forget about it, right? He, but he did it anyways. But he's like, this is a waste of time. They went ahead and threw their nets on the other side. And as soon as they threw the nets and they filled with fish, John looks up. And he realizes he puts two and two together. Wait a minute. Deja vu. Peter, look, it's the Lord. Peter 
takes his outer garment. The Bible says he was, they were a hundred yards from shore. That's a football field. He takes his outer garment, he ties it around his waist, and he jumps in the water. Because Jesus was fishing for Peter that day. And Peter swims to the shore while the other disciples haul the net in. Now Peter's excited. Because if you look here, <clears throat> Peter heard it was the Lord. He tied his outer clothing around him. And he plunged into the sea. And since they were not far from land, about 100 yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. And when they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire where... Uh, there with fish lying on it and bread. <laughs> Jesus didn't need the fish, folks. He wasn't fishing for fish. He was fishing for a lost servant. He was leaving the 99 to go after the one. Yes. He didn't need the fish. He already had breakfast prepared. But he was going after the one who rejected him and who had scorned him. It's been unfaithful. And he didn't need the fish. He needed Peter. And so Peter gets in. And when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire with the fish. Jesus said, bring me uh, some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter, Simon Peter, climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish. That net was so full that all the disciples couldn't get it in the boat. But Peter was so excited that he got a hold of the net and he drug it ashore by himself. Because he knew that Jesus came for him. When he gets on the shore, Jesus says, come have breakfast. Verse 15. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told them. And then he asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. He was excited at first. But now he's saying, Jesus, you came for me, but you're questioning my love for you. Maybe it isn't all better. He says, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Here's the key. Verse 18. Now this doesn't sound like a very uplifting verse, but it really is. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and you would walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after he told him this, he said, follow me. Verse 18 doesn't sound all that uplifting. He's done said to Peter three times. And as far as Peter's concerned, he's questioning his love for him. And it's a flashback. Jesus says, Peter, there's coming a time where you're going to be led and you're going to give your life for me. You're going to glorify me with your death. That has significance. Why? Because Peter said, I'll die for you. And then denied him. And Jesus said, what? There's coming a time when you're going to fulfill the promise you made to me. And you're going to lay down your life for me. You're going to fulfill that promise. And then he said to Peter, follow me. That was his completed restoration. Because he was going to complete the work that he started. When Andrew said, 
Peter, come fight on the side. That was a promise. Peter had let Jesus down before, but Jesus said, you won't do this ever again. Because the next time you won't tonight, you'll lay down your life for me. So the very fear that Peter would have had, which was, I'm not good enough, and he'll never be able to use me, and if he did, I'd just mess it up again when the time came. Jesus let him know in an instant, you're going to fulfill the oath that you made, and next time you're not going to mess up. Follow me. I don't know about you this morning, but that gives me hope. Because I have messed up so many times. I have made so many mistakes. I've been unfaithful, I've been disobedient, and I've had times of being ill-prepared. But God does not wish to leave us. Jesus does not wish to leave us wallowing in condemnation. He wants to restore us. And Peter is the example of the parable. He'll leave the 99 to go find the one. He wasn't fishing for James or John. He wasn't fishing for any of them. He was there for one man, and that was Peter. Because he was going to accomplish the purpose that he had for him. And that's what Peter needed for confirmation. That's what he needed. God knows exactly what you need to give you the strength and the encouragement to pick yourself up and follow him again. Amen. Let us stand. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach the loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.